Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning and welcome to a very special edition of Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Sue Tab, and this morning we are joined by Karen Nassimbeni, the general manager of the North Shore Music Theater in Beverly, who will share a very personal and powerful story with us today. She and her husband, Stephen Richard, both became sick with the coronavirus way back in March when little was known about the disease. She is here to talk about their harrowing experience, a journey that includes both unimaginable loss and remarkable strength. Karen shares her story with us today as a way of urging all of us to take this pandemic very seriously. Karen, hello. Hello, Sue. It's so good to hear your voice. No, it's better to hear your voice. (laughs) Trust me on that. Karen, tell us, so many people followed your story. Um, You're a very well-known, very well-respected person in the business and theater communities here in Boston and and well beyond, actually. An army of us were praying for you and your husband every single day. Talk about that day back in March when you first realized just how sick you both were. Sure. We, you know, we were very early on in the pandemic and not a lot was known as to, you know, what, what to expect. And medically, people, you know, they were flying by the seat of their pants. Um, so we gradually got sicker and sicker over the course of a week. We were both diagnosed with sinus infections. And we eventually got so sick um, over the weekend right before St. Patrick's Day that people were bringing all sorts of food to our house and leaving it on our steps and begging us to go to the hospital. But, you know, we listened to our doctors and thought that that's you know, we were just going to get through this little virus or sinus infection that we were diagnosed with, and we'd be okay. So on the morning of St. Patrick's Day, I um, looked at Stephen, who was just getting gravely ill, and, and I said, I'm going to call an ambulance. And he said, no, you know, please drive me to the hospital. So I did, and I was pretty delirious. We were both pretty oxygen deprived at that point. And we had to be cleared by my doctor because it was such a madhouse because so many people were sick. And um, so we pulled into the ambulance bay and waited and they came out right away to take him. And then I, you know, waited three or four hours in the car until they took me. You waited in the car for four more hours. Yeah. And I knew at that point, I just, I thought, my God, I don't know if he's going to make it. And I, 
remember calling my sister and saying, I don't think Stephen's going to make it, and I think I'm right behind him. And I asked her to make some phone calls. I said, you know, where is the best place I should be right now? Um, find out, you know, I have a friend who's connected in the Boston hospital scene. I said, do some research. Find out who has the best clinic for this right now. And so I find, I gradually just kind of got worse and worse. You know, there, there was two interesting things that happened with regards to Stephen. We were both in Winchester Hospital, and um, I needed to go to the next level of care, which would have been the ICU. And there were no beds available because they were so slammed. And that day, Stephen was med-flighted to Burlington Leahy Medical Center. And I got his bed at Winchester in the intensive care unit. And then, oh you know, God. as I got even sicker and I needed to go to the next level of care and needed to get med-flighted to Leahy, there were no beds available there again. And he died on Tuesday night, March 24th, and the next, early the next morning I was med-flighted to um, Leahy, Burlington. And got but you didn't know at the time, Karen, that he had passed, correct? I did not. I did not. You know, when I woke up a month later from the coma that I was in, I did never said, you know, where's my husband? The first thing I said is, where are my sisters? Where's my family? Why are they not here? And they said, Karen, you've woken up to a much different world. Everything is shut down. No one is allowed in the hospital. And um, so eventually, I think it was actually like a day or two later that I was able to finally talk to my sister, who was incredible in overseeing my care this whole time and advocating for me. And when she talked to me, she said, you know, there was there was one thing I wasn't going to do. I wasn't going to tell you twice that your husband had died. So she had to go through a series of questions to make sure that I was retaining all of the information that the doctors had told me about my journey. And so after she went through the series of questions to see that I had retained what they had said to me that morning, she said to me, you know, KK, I'm never going to lie to you. And I said, I know that. And she said, I have to tell you that Stephen didn't make it. And I said, I know because he was with me the whole time. I was in the coma. And she said, what do you mean? And I said, he was there just like standing in the corner of the room with like this glow around him, smiling at me just very peacefully, like, you're going to be okay. And I knew when I woke up that he was already gone because he had been by my side. And I had horrific um, hallucinations, one of the bad side effects of COVID, which you can also just get from a serious, you know, um, intensive um, illness like that in the ICU. But um, I had these horrific delusional nightmares the whole time I was in the coma for 31 days. And, and, they, you know, all sorts of conspiracy things happening. But Stephen was always there. He never spoke to me, but he just smiled at me. And, you know, so then when I woke up, I said, you know, she said he had died. And I said, who else? And she said, I'm sorry, you know, to say your father-in-law, Earl. And I said, oh, God. You know? And then I said, who else? <laughs> and she was like, and your dear friend, Don Kelly, who was a dear friend of mine in the business community and the nursery that I've known for years, very well known. We have seen a lot of events together, and it was yeah, kind of my male yeah, part of me, wow. you know. And so I was then I was like, "Who else?" And she says, "That's it." And I said, "Well, that's enough," you know. And then she had to explain to me too, you know, what the world was like and how everything was shut down, and I was just stunned by it. You know, I couldn't believe 
what I was waking up to. You know, and then on top of it, waking up, and I, I had been given paralytics in because I was just fighting the whole time to come out of the coma. I knew, you know, I, I was intubated for a month, and I knew that I was under, and I just wanted to get out of it. And, and I was always on a chair or on a couch or on a bed that I yeah. couldn't get out of. So I want to talk, Karen, a little bit about your family, because I know that they were so instrumental in your recovery, um, especially your sister, um, Sandra, who I know kept a daily journal. She kept all of us informed on social media. We knew how you were doing. And I have to say, which was a blessing and a curse, because at one point you I mean, you were really, really, really ill. Yes. And and we and nobody knew what was going to happen, and and then you kind of turned the corner, and it, it was like just a, a collective um, sigh from all of us, like thank God she's actually going to make it. Um, and I think that you credit that you had a blood transfusion, and and you had you had great medical staff as well. But your family, talk a little bit about how the the I always say the wagons circle, you know, and um, mm-hmm. how they helped you you get through this. Well, Sandra decided to go public on Facebook because she had to control the narrative. There was a lot of bad information out there, a lot of speculation. You know, people thought we had been at the Biogen conference and we had picked it up here and there and everywhere. And so she wanted to um, control that. So she took to Facebook with the most eloquent posts every night. And she was a little bit vague when things were bad because she didn't want people, you know, to worry. And, you know, just didn't want to have that much private information out there. Right. But she wrote the most, they, they should be a collection in a book. Honestly, they're so profound and so full of grace. And managing my friends and family and business associates, I mean, everyone was trying to get information. And so she tried to control the narrative by giving out the information every single night or, you know, whenever she got the reports from the doctors. And I know she kept a journal, and I also read in in one of the interviews that you did that, you know, people forget that they couldn't go in and see you physically because of, you know, obviously COVID. So you, I know that they kept um, sort of in touch via an iPad, and then they, sometimes if you were not awake, they would just be in the parking lot of the hospital. Yes, that's true. People, there was nothing they could do, so they... I can't tell you how many people told me they just went and sat in the parking lot to send good energy my way. And, you know, there were two times that I almost died when I was in the coma. One was a major cardiac issue and the other was a secondary infection, you know, that I picked up in the hospital. And so, you know, on Easter weekend, on that Friday, I had taken a turn for the better. And so on Sunday, when Sandy got a phone call from the hospital, she was really excited. It was the first time she let her guard down. And she thought that they were calling to say that they were going to put me on the phone to speak to her. And instead, they called and they asked her for a DNR. And, you know, poor kid, she just lost it. Oh, my God. So, and then a few days later is when they gave me the blood transfusion, which did, in fact, turn me around. So she had a lot on her plate, you know, to manage all of that, my care, Stephen's care, uh, when she was making decisions for him as well. 
If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Sue Tab, and today we're talking with Karen Nassimbeni, a Linfield resident and the general manager of the North Shore Music Theater, who has been sharing with us her personal story of tragedy and triumph over COVID-19, a disease that has had a profound impact on her life and her family. Let's get back to this very powerful conversation. I want to talk to you about, I know um, you started a memorial scholarship in your husband's memory, the Stephen T. Richard Memorial Photography Scholarship. Talk a little bit about that. My friend Nate Bertoni, who is like a son to me and Stephen, formed that. You know, there was people, he was so nervous the whole time that we weren't going to make it. And after Stephen died, that was the way he channeled his energy into starting that foundation. And he created t-shirts with two uh, slogans on it that I always say, and one of them is, uh, hello, darling, and the other one is, come on, party people. You know, whenever I'm getting ready for an event at work or whatnot, I'm like, come on, party people, let's go, you know? And so he he did a caricature of me on these t-shirts and sold them, and then he did wine glasses. He also started a postcards for Karen campaign, and people would write notes to me from all over the world. This went so viral. I have hundreds and hundreds of them. And I mean, I got them from Ecuador and, you know, just play, people I, I've never even met. And so, and they were just beautiful sentiments and um, things that people might have wanted to say to me that they never had had a chance to say to me. So, and all of the money that uh, was raised from the t-shirt sales and the wine glass sales all went to the scholarship. And, and we want to nurture a, you know, rising photographer. The majority of the funds are going to go to Montserrat College of Art. Stephen and I were very passionate about that school. Yes. Uh, he actually went to the New England School of Photography in Kenmore Square, which is no longer, so we chose Montserrat um, to get the bulk of the funds. And we will, you know, do some really creative things with some kids coming through the photography program there to help them get a leg up, whether it's you know, underwriting their classes or helping them buy a camera, you know, whatever it is. Stephen was a wonderful photographer, and and he was always mentoring people, and he would love that use of money in his name. If people, Karen, want to find out more about that um, scholarship or donate to it, what should they do? They can um, just make out a check to the Stephen T. Richard Memorial Photography Scholarship Fund, and they can mail it care of 45 Phillips Road, Linfield, Mass, 01940. And we are uh, meeting with Montserrat actually this week. I think eventually it'll be online where they can just do a click-through, and that's happening um, actually in the next few days. So, um, But in the meantime, they can just write a check and we deposit it into the account. And, um, and we've raised quite a bit of money. I think we're going to do some really fun things with some students. Yeah, that's a great way to channel your energy, as you said, and, and your grief. I, you and Stephen were together for how long? 30 years? 30 years, yeah. We would have been married 20 years. Um, we had a long dating and engagement period. and um, But on our 20th anniversary, I spent the day spreading some of his ashes up at Ocean Point, Maine, where we got married at the uh, on the ocean. You know, I the funny thing about this is I had a premonition last fall that I was going to die. And we were sitting in the Adirondack chairs at the Ocean Point, and up in, uh, Ocean Point, which is part of the Booth Bay Harbor region. And I I thought, this is the last time we're going to be here together. We used to go up every year for our anniversary. And I said to him, I, I know you love this place. And if anything should ever happen to me, 
I want you to come back and you're going to hear my voice in the wind and the waves and promise me you'll do that. And he looked at me and he said, Karen, you can never die before me. And he said, I just can't live without you. And so it was so strange because I I was so sure that that was our last time and it was. And I said, you know, can we have one more dance in the street? Because on our wedding day, we danced in the street and um, we stuck out the side door and kept dancing. It was it was really beautiful right at the ocean. And That's amazing I, that you actually I, I had know. that conversation. You said it I out know. loud. I, yep, said it out loud. And <sighs> I, but I thought I was going to die for it. And it wasn't like I was sick or anything. Right. I just had this premonition. I said, "Wow, this is the last time we're going to be here together." And, um, and there were a number of things that I felt less well. I had designed a studio apartment in our um, uh, garage, and I talked to him about converting the garage into a studio apartment. I said, look, down the road, you know, if anything happens to me and you're getting older and you want a smaller place, you can live in the studio apartment and rent out the main house. And he was like, what are you, crazy? Why are you talking like this? I was setting him up to make sure that he was okay. And, you know, and then in the end, obviously, he was the one that went. Wow. First, so that's why I felt it was so important for me to spread some of his ashes up there because I want to go and hear the his voice in the wind and the waves. And I, actually, I booked a, a weekend um, next weekend to go up, and uh, just because Maine is calling me, and I feel very close to him there because it was our favorite place to be. I I I I know, and I love that you say, Karen. Even in your grief, you say that you're trying to be grateful for the time that you did have together, for the gift that he was to you. What do you think that his legacy is, or maybe that your legacy together is? You know, one of the things that has been so difficult to hear from people when I tell my story, because, you know, Stephen and I, we had a great love, a real, true, great love. We were, we wanted to be together all the time, you know, and I think, and I can't tell you how many women, you know, my age have said to me, women and men, I've never known great love. I stayed with my husband for all these years because of the kids or because I thought that that's all there was. And I've had friends leave their, you know, their partners at, during COVID because they said, you know what, I want that. I want to try to find that. And our our relationship was always based in deep respect you know, we were friends first for a long time, and it, it honestly, it took me a long time to get him to see me as a romantic partner because we were such good pals, and um, and that's why our relationship was so beautiful because it was based in you know friendship first, and then just pure love. He was Stephen was hands down one of the kindest people. I've ever met in my life. I don't know what it's like to get into a cold car or to have to take the snow off of my car. Like this is, these are the things I'm thinking of now, you know, and I, the good news is I appreciated it in the moment. Like he would go out, my car would be warmed up, the snow would be off. He brought me every morning a cat. When I was getting ready in the bathroom, he would bring me up a cappuccino and he would pour a freehand heart in colored sugar every morning with a different color. And and so, you know what I do now? I'm like, I'm like, the coffee fairy now. I can't make cappuccinos for people, but I secretly like send lavazza to, to different people. <laughs> it just shows up here with Amazon. And I thought, because I had that joy every day in, in his kindness. And look, Sue, I would die of a broken heart if I didn't live in a place of gratitude right now, because I have to be grateful that I had 30 beautiful years with him, and I can't think about what I'm not going to have with him and what you know what's not going to be. 
I have to just be grateful for what I had because I know now that a lot of people are never going to know that, that feeling. Still, though, to be able to deal with the grief that you're dealing with, with the grace and the courage um, and being as forthcoming as you is, is, I think, inspirational to other people that may be going through grief. Has it ever occurred to you to perhaps write something down about this, help other people along the way, maybe do like, what do you think you're going to do with all of this? You know, I think I was saved for a greater purpose. I'm not sure what that is now. I can't tell you how many people say to me, this needs to be a movie and not just a movie, you know, to, to talk about this time in our lives with this pandemic, but it's really, it's a love story. It's a great love story and it's a great story of hope you know, when I was, you know, on death's door, thousands of people around the world were pulling for me because people were dying, you know, in droves every day. And I gave people hope, like they were fighting for me to to survive. And even yeah. now, I mean, with all of the stuff I've had to deal with medically. And, you know, look, that I, I woke up to a whole other battle. I, I woke up not only losing my husband and father-in-law and friend, I couldn't walk when I woke up. I had to learn how to walk all over again. And, you know, and now I'm dealing with some, I never thought I was a, a long hauler, but now I'm dealing with some residual stuff. I had an echocardiogram last week and I had some pulmonary issues that they found post-COVID. I have to go to the, they want me to go to the new lab now at Mass General that is studying post-COVID um, disorders. And so it's, I'm not out of the woods yet. You know, I, I, I've said so many times, oh, I don't have any permanent damage that I know of. And, and now I'm starting to learn that I might. And, yeah. you know, so here I'm trying to grieve and I'm also trying to fix myself at the same time. What would you say to people who maybe um, think, oh, masks don't do anything or who don't take the pandemic seriously? Talk talk straight to them now about the message you would have, because, we, you know, you said you're not out of the woods. None of us are. Um, right. The numbers, as you know, are rising and uh, we're still in the thick of this. Oh, I think we're in for it. I think that this next round is going to be even worse than the one before, even though we know so much more about it now and how to treat it. And that's the problem. You know, you have people that think, you know, it's just like a bad cold. Every day people are getting this and in varying degrees, like it went through my family in Western Mass. My brother-in-law was hospitalized with very serious um, side effects of COVID, left the hospital, was still having fevers and all sorts of bad things. My sister, who's immunocompromised, who we were the most worried about getting this, she had a very mild dose as though it was a bad cold. So you don't know which version of this virus you're going to get. And wearing a mask is the single easiest way to avoid this. And I see it all the time. People are just, they're not taking it seriously. They're not wearing masks. And you know what? If you're not going to do it for yourself, do it for the person you're walking by or the person you're sitting next to in your office or, you know, wherever it might be. You do not want to be in the hospital on a ventilator. Or even if you get a mild dose of this with, I mean, I've had all sorts of uh, weird muscle things. Like when I was in PT, we were working my arms with the stretch bands. I couldn't lift my arms for three to four months because at the time, they didn't know that there was a muscle disorder that went along with this, that it was breaking down muscles. And now I'm feeling it in very deep um, uh, hip muscles uh, all of a sudden. And so it's you. there are so many side effects that come along with this virus. You just do not want to take a chance 
as to which ones you're going to get. And unfortunately, the people who are getting the mild cold version of this virus is like, oh, it's no big deal. You know, Mm -hmm. and believe me when I tell you, it's a big deal. Yeah, I think you speak with some authority on that. And I want to talk to just uh, we're we're almost out of time. We only have a couple minutes left, believe it or not. But um, I know, too, you're and I know the North Shore Music Theater is you're sort of the face of the North Shore Music Theater. It's it's how we know each other. But people know you from all different um, circles. But I know Bill Haney also checked in every single day and the whole community there were rallying around you. Am I right? Oh, they were amazing. Bill checked in every single day with my sister. How's my girl? How's my girl? And, you know, we, Bill and I talked five times a day. You know, that was really hard for him. And he had the costume department making masks and donating them all over the place, you know, with fabric that we had on hand. And they made a lot of them with purple because it's my favorite fabric. Aww. And then, you know, Heather and Ricky, my art facilities kids, I mean, they got a whole team of people together and they came over. You know, I couldn't come back to my house because it was under construction. And with my lungs being compromised, I couldn't have, you know, construction dust or, you know, open walls or anything like that. So 80 people came to my house and put it back together so that I could come home. And, you know, so many of our employees came and did manual labor here to put my house back together. And it's like I I moved back into a new house practically, you know, a fresh coat of paint and everything, everything cleaned and organized. Uh, inside yeah, I know out. you stayed with your sister for some time, but you're back in your Four home months. in Linfield, right? Yep. Yes, I am. Yeah. I am. Yeah, that's lovely. You know, it's they put my house back together. It's everything Stephen and I dreamed of. You know, it's the only thing missing is Stephen, mm-hmm. unfortunately. But I, I have to say 80 people helping out here was, it took a village. <laughs> Well, Karen, we're already out of time, but I know I speak for um, hundreds, thousands of us um, by saying, first of all, you know, we're so happy that you're okay. We're so sorry for your loss. Um, We wish you continued good health um, and, you know, continue. uh, We hope that you'll continue to heal from this. I know it's been quite a journey, but we thank you for sharing because by sharing, I think you're doing um, a lot of good because you're making people understand that we need to take this very seriously. So thank you from the bottom of our hearts for doing that. I'm sure it's not it's not easy to sort of relive this over and over again. Um, so thank, thank you. you. And, and thank you for giving me the platform to spread the word. And please, everyone out there, wear your masks. So we can all not only not get the virus, but so that we can all get back to work in creating theater and everything else that we do. And I hope when when all of us are vaccinated and this is behind us, I would love, I want to sit down and have dinner with you and just try to reconnect and, and take a deep breath because it's been, wow, you've been through so much. Thank you. I would love that. So All right. Thank you, Karen. Karen Nassim-Benny has been in the spotlight on Exceptional Women today. We wish you continued good health. We pray for your healing and your family's healing. And we know that there are better days ahead for all of us. Thanks for sharing your story and for inspiring all of us to move through challenges with grace, courage, and kindness. You are beyond exceptional. You've been listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. It is our honor and privilege to shine a light on the change makers and to provide a platform for people who are out doing meaningful work in our communities. Thank you for paying attention, for helping us to create engaging programming. We'd love to hear from you. If you know someone who is making a difference, just email us or send us a message on our Magic Facebook page. I'm Sue Tab, and along with my co-host and producer, Kendra Petroni, we'd like to invite you to join us every Sunday morning at 7.30 for another edition of Exceptional Women. Have a great day, everyone.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.